I'm trying to find the name right now of a story I read that was, I think, I don't know that it was magical realism per se, because it was more historical. Well, the good thing about magical realism is that now a lot of stuff that we used to call historical fiction is being recategorized under it. It's a it's a pretty broad genre. Like I tried to I tried to look up some stuff to kind of buff myself for this to be prepared. Um, fair warning, I got distracted by scotch. I mean that's that's totally legitimate. I should have been doing my research last night, but I got distracted by beer. So well, see, great minds think alike. <laughs> uh, as far as I can tell, speculative fiction uh, was coined in the twentieth century by some guy named Robert A. Heinlein, and he primarily used it to refer to science fiction. Yeah, I've read a lot of Heinlein, actually. Do you want to actually just get into the start of the episode then? Uh, sure. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your format and what you try to do in each one, and I'll try to keep up with you. Okay. So this is Genre Breaker. I'm Hayden Pickens. Uh, this, this week I'm with Ashley Nicole Hunter to talk about magical realism. Hello. I sent the same email to you that I did to Audrey. Um, the basic premise is that I've got uh, sort of four different goals I want to hit. I want to sort of define the genre. And that's the first one. And the second one is give some examples of stories that exist in it. Maybe do a little bit of talking about those. Mm-hmm. Then explore sort of rules, tropes, and expectations of the genre. And give different examples of stories that break the genre which is either subverting it or merging it with something else or changing what it means. Oh, good. Then I've, I've done my homework for that part. And then we can just also sort of address anything that comes up along the way that's relevant. Okay. That's the plan. All right. Well, I will try to keep up. So yeah, today is Magical Realism Day. I've looked at a few different things in Magical Realism. It's one of those genres that Audrey and I talked about this uh, last episode, but it overlaps a lot with literary fiction in some cases. Yeah, as far as I can tell, the the big defining point about magical realism these days seems to be it's a it's a story written with a what if behind it. What if you took one thing and changed it? I remember we got that sort of speech when we were when we were in class together back uh, when I was at uh, UCA with you. Yeah, I think I think John Vanderslice put it really well that it's it's a great big what if story yeah and um to that end it's sort of more grounded in reality than things like uh science fiction or more full-throated fantasy a lot of the time mm-hmm. but there's there's always these extra elements that sort of leak in right it it can bleed over into a lot of already well-established genres so it's it's kind of a genre breaker all on its own yeah, it's very much of a catch-all, which is why I'm glad we're talking about it so early on this show. I remember a lot of uh, Kelly Link's stuff. The new boyfriend in particular was a strange one. Yeah, it, it was very believable, and then the weird hit you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you were talking about uh, Heinlein earlier, who sort of uh, coined the term of speculative fiction. And he used it to refer to a lot of what we consider science fiction now. Right. It's it's weird to see how far a term can come. Um, I think he, he even straight out said that he did not intend for it to apply to fantasy. But I think fantasy is what it's gotten consumed by at this point. Well, 
That's funny because I um, have a quote from Terry Pratchett, who is one of my all-time favorite authors. Yes. With the Discworld series and some other stuff he's written, Good Omens. He said magical realism is like a polite way of saying you write fantasy. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I like that. So that's, um, that is certainly a bit at odds with how Heinlein envisioned it, but you know, the language takes on a life of its own. Right, it grows and it changes, and and now I think that we're still defining it. We, we know at this point that it probably involves fantasy, and it probably involves a what-if, but that, that can leap over into a lot of different genres. That can be multiple horror stories, or historical fiction, or strange things involving my little ponies <laughs> yeah i've seen i've seen a lot of stuff that i would say overlaps with science fiction or with horror or with even uh bizarro fiction which is sort of a different class unto itself mm -hmm. but we can get into that at a later date i think magical realism is a really good starting off point Mm -hmm. for someone who wants to find something that doesn't require a lot of extra thinking or backstory or like world building because a lot of magical realism is just in our world but with this small little change right i would even say that a lot of writing prompts are probably geared towards magical realism they all start off with what if you found a bottle containing a genie well that just presupposes that all the rest of your life is normal but you found a tiny little man living in a tiny little bottle yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a very approachable genre for both readers and writers. How long have you been reading it? I'm trying to think. I guess it's something that I've always kind of read. I think uh, the old C.S. Lewis Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe series mm -hmm. is some of the earliest stuff I can remember reading, and I think that's maybe a little bit closer to fantasy, but there is a basis in the real world before they get to the more fantastical world. It definitely, yeah, it definitely starts off with it. I mean, the whole what if you fell through a hole in the wardrobe? Yeah, and then you end up in this magical place where it's snowing and um, a woman offers you fudge for your soul. Seems legit. Was it fudge? I, be I believe it was some horrifying, like, gross candy now that we wouldn't consider something like lemon drops or I, I'm, I'm going to get chewed out by somebody who's like a, a raving fan of it. So you can find Ashley on Twitter and at her. <laughs> at, uh, oh, oh no. You can find both of us and just tell us all of the horrible things we don't know about C.S. Lewis's classic series, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'm, I'm actually a, a big fan of it for all of its, it's not really geared towards my religious views. I found something very comforting about the idea of a talking lion that could take down your enemies. <laughs> I think it was a very well-written work, and I think when I initially wrote it, it or when I initially read it, I'm not C.S. Lewis. Stop telling people that. The first time I read it, I was very young, and um, I was also in a very religious family, and so that kind of fit. Um, but I think even approaching it as that's become less important in my life, I'm still able to say it's a very well-written work, and whatever you take from the metaphor that's in there, it's still something that can be good for everyone, and you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy it, I think. I would say that I probably didn't 
start getting into magical realism well until high school. Up until then, I liked survival uh, stories and horror and stories about horses. <laughs> stories about horses. I, um... I think I've read every Black Stallion book like a hundred times. Um, but I had a friend who was into reading comics by Neil Gaiman. And so mm -hmm. she got me started on the Sandman series. Oh, yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that. It, it was pretty neat. I think that the, the speculative fiction question behind it would be, what if some ideas were personified? So you have, you have all the big movers and shakers, like dream, destiny, desire, death. Um, all things start with Ds. Yes, they're, they're not human. They're not gods. They're personified concepts. Okay. I've glanced over the most recent one, mm -hmm. which is, I think, actually a prelude to even the first one that came out, because publishing order is tricky and too much time for a linear story these days. Well, the Sandman uh, series, as I understand it, actually concluded a long time ago, but they keep doing reprints of it and rebindings and uh, annotated editions. And now, apparently, Neil Gaiman is going back to the series and uh, letting other authors write in it, similar to how Lovecraft built his Cthulhu mythos and then let other people play on his playground. Did considerably better with it than he ever did. I'm also going to have people calling me out, but I don't care. I'll die on this hill. My husband uh, will get a hold of you later. <laughs> Write a sternly worded letter. But I think that, I think Gaiman is probably the most well-known speculative fiction author at this point. He's probably right up there with Stephen King in terms of rock star writers. I absolutely agree, and I regret that I haven't read as much of Neil Gaiman's stuff as I would have liked, but I think Sandman and American Gods and then um, Good Omens, which he collaborated with Terry Pratchett on, which is one I have read, are all things that, are, that receive a lot of well-deserved praise for how they sort of approach something in quote-unquote the normal world, but mm -hmm. also taking this what-if concept and using it to explore something fantastical. I think that you can find uh, similarly good works, too, in his short stories. Um, I think the most recent collection was called Trigger Warnings, and most libraries have it. Uh, most libraries got it as soon as it came out. So if, if you haven't read it, I recommend it. There are some truly heartbreaking stories in there. Uh, my favorite being uh, Truth is a Cave in the Black Mountains. I believe that's the title. Um, what What's if, that one about? It is, it is basically what if there was one place in the world you could go to and learn the truth behind anything. So oh. there's also supposed to be a uh, fabulous treasure nearby. And one man wants to go to the cave to learn where the treasure is hidden. And the other man uh, that he talks into going with him wants to go to the cave to find out what happened to his estranged daughter, who he hasn't seen in many years. And it's it's not happy for anyone involved. Wow, that is, um, that's a concept, all right. I would, I would highly recommend reading it, especially if people are into uh, fairy lore. Oh yeah, fairy lore is a big thing that I think 
it might be considered its own genre mm -hmm. in some way, but I think it has a lot of overlap and it comes up a lot in the magical realism type genre. Right. Um, I was very fond of a story that Kelly Link wrote um, in one of her short story collections. Was it The Summer People? Yes. Yes, I remember that one. Having to take care of a house full of fairies, what would that be like? Very lonely, it turns out. <laughs> but very beautiful. Yes. Both both in the way that the things are described and her actual writing itself is very, very good at sort of evoking those visuals. I'm ashamed to admit that before we read that in class, I had not heard of her. I think it's very easy to get wrapped up in one author or one line of books sometimes and forget that there are other great things coming out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think The Summer People was also good, a really good example of this genre because it sort of focuses on the summer people, which are the uh, the alluded to fairies. Mm -hmm. But it also brings in this uh, this other outside character that the protagonist has to deal with in the real world. And so it sets up a sharp divide between sort of the real world and the fantastical one. And you get to see lots of both. I think that's probably another good uh, requirement for speculative fiction, seeing the interplay between the fantasy world and the real world and how they bounce off one another. I think it's the thing that separates it from just a uh, pure fantasy or pure science fiction. Right. And the sense that anything is pure but uh, the uh the idea of grounding it sort of in the real world and seeing not just this fantastical wild creative world that the author has made but also taking taking some time to look at how the real world reacts to that or why the real world doesn't react to that in some cases mm -hmm. that that's another thing that can make it really challenging to find an actual speculative fiction book for all that they're so common i know that right now if you go over onto goodreads and you tried to look at the all-time favorite speculative fiction you're going to find a lot of things like a song of ice and fire and uh J.R.R. tolkien's works which i would regard personally as strictly fantasy but some people try to say that it's well what if this was earth's ancient history but I think that that might be cheating because that's more of a fan theory and less of a established in the mythos. Uh, I, I did notice, though, that when you look at lists uh, to find more speculative fiction, um, they have some, some older books on there that I would, I would even say could be considered literary fiction, like The House of the Spirits by, I think, Isabel Aland. Yeah, um, I talked about the yellow wallpaper uh, for the last episode, for the literary fiction episode, and I think that also counts as a as magical realism. Mm -hmm. It's heavily implied that everything happening there is in the woman's head, but there's also a certain element where you don't know how much is real and how much isn't, which I think is is in sometimes very magical realism. Mm -hmm. Magical realism doesn't always make it obvious that it's magical. Magical realism is so hard to define and put your finger on. I mean, e even, even the title, I, I can see it, uh, like if I look online right now, I see it termed both ways. I see it uh, magical realism, speculative fiction, and they all lead back to the same lists. It's a conspiracy. Uh. <laughs> I was just noting that um, sometimes it can be, like we've established at least two things that we think are requirements yes. for magical realism, but 
um, it can be really challenging to to get into it, uh, to to set definitions for it. Because I know that right now, if I go online and I look at places that you might think should know, like Goodreads or Book Riot, um, they dance back and forth between calling it magical realism and speculative fiction, and they both appear to mean the same thing. Yeah. I think it's one of those instances of a, a term is still being defined. It's definitely not as concrete as saying, like, this is fiction, this is nonfiction, this is fiction about place. Yeah, um, I think I think there is a lot to that. I think because because sort of the definition of speculative fiction is a story that begins with what if. Mm-hmm. And you can say that about anything. You can say, uh, what if a hundred years in the future there is a prison colony on the moon run by an AI, and you get you get uh, the moon is a harsh mistress, which mm-hmm. is a science fiction story by uh, by most accounts. Or you get normal everyday sort of things. Um, the story I was reaching for just now was uh, the next building I plan to bomb by Charles Baxter. which it's difficult to say whether it has magical elements in it or not. The premise of the story is that a man is basically sitting on a park bench and he finds a drawing with the words, the next building I plan to bomb on it, along with a diagram. And he just goes through and shows shows the diagram to different people and gets sort of like different reactions to it, all of which are dismissive of the possibility that it's legitimate threat. But it still felt kind of like it had that magical realism vein in it to me. Mm -hmm. It did have that uh, what-if moment to it, for one thing. But more than that, it was sort of about how perceptions changed and how the characters didn't all see the same thing, even when they were looking at the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an element that comes up sometimes in magical realism-type stories, where you're not entirely sure what or how much is real because the characters don't know. Right. Um, I've read some horror that was like that, too. I think that a lot of Shirley Jackson's pieces could probably be called speculative. Oh, absolutely. Um, like The Haunting of Hill House, where you're never quite sure whether it's all happening inside Eleanor's head or whether the house is actually haunted. And if it is haunted, what is it haunted by? Yeah. So maybe... Maybe another good definition would be that it has to raise questions. You have to speculate after it's over. It's not just the author speculating, it's the author forcing you to speculate as the reader. Right. Ask questions, but the questions have to be earned. Like, not just, why did this bird fall out of the sky on page 32 and kill the heroine? (laughs) Although that would be a good question. That got me thinking about the end of, uh, of the movie Barton Fink, where at the very end, a bird just falls out of the sky. I have just watched that. That was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And I've seen some like late night YouTube horror shows. <laughs> we can certainly get into horror at another date, because I think that's, that's another field that overlaps pretty heavily with this but with a different sort of emotion to it. Right. It's very easy to lose your footing in speculative fiction and start to get uneasy, which can turn into horror very quickly. We, we like things to be defined, and we like to understand 
how things are when they aren't how we think they should be. It can be terrifying. The last thing I kind of remember was talking about um, how it's similar to horror, um, but I also wanted to make the point that it's got sort of like a different emotional pull. Mm-hmm. Whereas horror definitely likes to coach you in suspense and fear of the different and the unknown. Um, not only what if there are magical elements, but what could they do to you in sort of a malevolent mm-hmm. sense sometimes. For me, magical realism is more about a sense of surprise or wonder. Right. It's it's kind of about recapturing that sense of awe that we had in the world when we were younger. I absolutely agree. I think there are a lot of examples of magical realism that the characters in it, I'm thinking a lot of of Kelly Link right now, um, where Mm -hmm. the summer people and the new boyfriend and um, a few of her stories like that were of people that were of like high school age or younger. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's actually that uncommon of a trend in Good Omens, which is maybe magical realism. That's a bit of a tougher call, actually. A lot of the characters were younger. There was a specific group that was followed that was a bunch of uh, 10 or 12-year-old kids. And I think it makes sense for magical realism to like younger protagonists, because Mm -hmm. they're the ones filled with wonder for the world. I agree. I think one of the earliest examples that we can see of this is, uh, for me personally, I would categorize Alice in Wonderland as magical realism. Oh, that's a fantastic example. I mean, that was that was probably pretty shocking for its day, but I, I can't think of anything more magical realism than what would happen if you ended up in a topsy-turvy world. Yeah. Everything was sort of similar, but different. And I think the... Uh... The character is young enough that it allows the audience to sort of play the uh, how much is real game with themselves Mm -hmm. while reading. But it introduces so many fantastical elements while still having sort of a foot in the real world, both in where the story starts and sort of what it's about, the metaphor of it all. Right. It's almost easier to find magical realism in young adult books than it is uh, adult literature. I think so often, like, adults want to confine themselves to very serious subject matter, like Gone Girl or The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I'm just going to keep listing girl things. (laughs) Um, Adults like girls. Wait, no, shit. Parts of them, at least. (laughs) But yeah, so often you you see, oh, we have to handle serious subject matter. So having someone like Kelly Link or Neil Gaiman or Terry Pratchett push through into adult fiction with their stuff is is strange and amazing. Much like the genre itself. Yes. Excellent (laughs) tie-in. I absolutely agree. I think when I try and think of magical realism and fail to come up with specific titles. I know a lot of the ones that I'm thinking of were when I was younger and were young adult types books. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's impossible for adults to appreciate it though. I think it serves to, um, like we've talked about, it's sort of connection to literary stories and and also the fact that um, 
people like uh, Neil Gaiman and uh, C.S. Lewis and others wrote these books that were not just for kids. The uh, the Screw Tape Letters is not as kid focused as the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, and even. By the end of that series, I think he had a sense that his audience grew up with the books and so became right. older. And that's a great feeling when you can grow up with a series. I think that's something that a lot of series, just across the board, that are long standing, have the potential mm-hmm. to do. And it's always not all of them execute it well, but the ones that do, it's very satisfying. I know for a little bit, we were having a lot of uh, speculative fiction, magical realism stuff turned out when I was very young, like middle school, elementary school. Uh, Do you recall the Animorphs? I do recall the Animorphs. So the author, uh, author, air quotes of that, K.A. Applegate, which was, it was just an aggregate of of authors. uh, They also wrote a series called Everworld. And it was magical realism speculative fiction where it was, what if a group of kids, every time they closed their eyes, didn't get to sleep, but they woke up in this other world where all of the gods and mythological creatures had gone to when they got sick of this one. So they weren't getting any rest. It's just every time they closed their eyes, they would wake up and they'd be in the middle of a battlefield or trying to get away from ogres or something horrendous and it was all of them together experiencing this so they knew that they weren't crazy they were just very very tired (laughs) yeah i think that's um that's a pretty solid example of magical realism um as well i think i feel like animorphs might be more of the uh science fictiony blend yes animorphs probably definitely is but but everworld everworld was good (laughs) I wish I had read that. I read through the first, like, 30 Animorphs books, and there were a lot of those books. Yeah, the Everworld books are much harder to find. My sister got very excited. She found me the fifth in the series, or the second or something. Mm -hmm. Still don't have the first. It's almost impossible to come across. I think I saw one on eBay for, like, $200, and I was a sad, sad girl. Um, Throwing out another Neil Gaiman book, because favorite author uh neverwhere have you read that that actually sounds very familiar but i can't definitively say that i have uh neverwhere is basically what if homeless people had magical powers okay so you have this girl door whose power is she can open anything and normally you would think doors and windows but she can open people oh So she's very sought after, and she's sort of homeless royalty. Very interesting. But it's it's examining the homeless people of London, but giving them their own magical subculture. I think there's sort of distinct categories between, like, magical realism in sort of the the more rural sense, um, going out Mm -hmm. into, uh, well, like, uh, Bridge to Terabithia actually sort of springs to mind as something that's kind of magical realism and it's it's heartbreaking but there is this this undercurrent of finding out the beauty in the world itself Mm -hmm. um i I think another old one is uh tuck everlasting oh yeah i remember that one actually 
I think it's Andrew Clements, and I can't remember his better-known pen name. Tom Sawyer and The Adventures of Hawk Finn mm-hmm. are both... Um, they're maybe a little more realistic than your standard magical realism, but I wouldn't be afraid to sort of put them in a discussion about it. Mm-hmm. Because there is sort of this adventure and fantasy to to the lives that are being lived. It seems like, for the most part, it's easier to do uh, magical realism in small amounts, in short stories... Uh, it seems much more rare to see it pulled off successfully in large books because then I think it's too easy for it to sink over into purely urban fantasy, yeah, or or straight fantasy or or something else. I think. Well, here's here's a question for you. One that helps prove we're not too highbrow here. For one thing, do you think Harry Potter is magical realism? I would say... Or do you think it's more like a fantasy st- Because it's based in the real world, but most of the story doesn't take place in the real world. Um, most of the story takes place in a more magical setting. For myself, I would say it's probably fantasy, but the reason why, how I, I personally differentiate magical realism from fantasy is that I think magical realism is mostly real, with just a hint of magic. And I think when you start going into deep and pervasive uh, world lore, then I think that you've crossed over into fantasy. Like, even though Harry Potter takes place in our world, it's almost an entirely separate world that just touches up against ours to the point that there are whole land masses that we can't even access because of spells. Um, so I would call that fantasy. For me, speculative fiction would be more something like, I would almost say Kafka. Like, he woke up one day and he's a roach and there's really no reason why. Well, He just is and it's strange. That's actually more along the lines of what I consider to be a bizarro fiction, which is sort of this speculative fiction taken to the weirdest and sometimes most obscene extremes. Mm Mm-hmm. But for me, it's it's having that light touch with it, just enough to make you think this isn't quite right. Uh, a long time ago, I think back in like 2010, one of the year's best fantasies had a story that was about a woman uh, who, in her in her older years, her husband left her for a younger woman, but he left her like one of their like cottage houses, and she was reminiscing on how she never had a garden. And she'd had a miscarriage, her one chance of having a kid, and then she discovers there's a small mermaid in her toilet. Oh. And nothing else about the world has changed, but there is a small mermaid in her toilet. And she names it after the child that she miscarried, and she grows very protective of the mermaid. Almost viewing it like a surrogate daughter, which can have some strange connotations if you think about the fact that most oftentimes when a woman miscarries, she finds out about it in the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I, I think I'm inclined to agree with your um with your definition of magical realism is a world with just like one small element, um, mm-hmm. and as such, Harry Potter probably doesn't fit that. And maybe in hindsight, uh, the line, the Witch in the Wardrobe doesn't. Though I'm not sure why I'd separate those into different genres, but the uh. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe feels more magical realism to me for some reason. I think because it is a whole other world that they go to. Um, 
one one bound by the Christian terms of I think the world only exists for something like five thousand years. <laughs> why why I think some sto- stories like Neverwhere, which is a long book, not a short uh, series, or not even a young adult series, like I was talking about, it's easier to yeah. do, is because it's still within our world. It's still crossing over. They're still using recognizable landmarks like King's Cross or the Tower, um, the London Underground. They're just saying, but what if this was also different about it? What if you didn't know this, but this was also different about it? And it's more, it's more the insinuation that things have always been this strange. You just don't notice it. I think that's a good metric. So that might be another condition of magical realism, that the implication has to maybe always be that things have always been like this, you just haven't noticed. Yeah, I think uh, I kind of want to talk about what other types of writing could uh, learn from this. We've already talked about sort of different genres that are similar to magical realism, be it literary fiction or horror writing or... um straight fantasy or science fiction but Mm -hmm. what do you think those or even things further removed from that could sort of stand to benefit from a closer look at magical realism and or speculative fiction one thing i think that magical realism does very well is it establishes rules it's not just um all of a sudden the carpet store all the carpets in the world are blue there's normally some sort of reasoning behind it, even if it makes you question things. The, the whole world operates then on what would change based on that. It's not just, here's this thing, everyone's shocked by it, but then the world carries on as normal. Uh, so for other stories, I think sometimes weird things get introduced, but it doesn't add anything to it and nothing changes in the world because of it. For instance, if someone is writing an urban fantasy... And they're going to say that werewolves are a thing. And werewolves have always been a thing and they roam around at night. Then you have to establish, well, what's different about the world because of that? Is that the uh, story you were bragging about uh, when I first met you? The the story that's very painful that I'm considering to write on and I keep rewriting the first three chapters? (laughs) That's the one. Yeah, like I'll get 16 chapters in and I'm like, I'll go back and I'll rewrite this first bit here. It is my private hell. I think I think every author sort of understands that purgatory of, well, if I just put a few touch-ups here. Yeah, the, the problem is, is that for anything that you're working on for a long time, your style eventually is going to mm-hmm. change. You're going to learn new things about writing. And then you look at the mess that you made before and go, no gods, I have to fix that. No one can see the mistakes that I've made. So it's very easy to get caught in a in a vicious, vicious cycle of not finishing draft one, but going on to draft two in the middle of your first draft. And and so on and so on. Yes. Yeah, I get that. Um, that's why I enjoy sort of the, the short writing, even though I can't necessarily say that it's considerably easier to make a compact story. It's at least... Mm-hmm. I haven't learned five new things about writing and why the way my writing sucks since I started writing. <laughs> At the very least, for anybody who's who's seriously writing, 
but wonders what good a creative writing or technical writing degree or what have you would do for them it encourages you to finish things that is absolutely true i think i've finished more things since starting my degree in creative writing at uca than i have in my entire history of writing not all of them have seen the light of day because i have ethics and morals <laughs> i finished them by god I've finished them Yes, I'm absolutely in the same boat. And now I'm in a publishing program, so I'm doing less direct writing and more editing. But but yeah, uh, we were making an episode, gosh dang it. <laughs> yes. One thing that I really appreciate about magical realism stories is the ability to draw the reader in with the sense of wonder and like mm -hmm. curiosity and not necessarily needing to flesh out the world all of the time. Right. I think it's important to know what your world is and who your characters are. But I also think that some of that element of mystery and wonder and letting the world just be something that you can appreciate from a distance. Absolutely. Rather than fleshing out the world, it's probably more important to examine how the world changes if it changes because of this new thing or if everybody else is oblivious to it i think when you start flushing it out you start slipping off over into fantasy yeah i think the the bigger the, the bigger the change to the world is and the more it encompasses your story mm-hmm the less likely it is to just be magical realism because you're sort of dropping that realism part Right. It's kind of like telling a lie. You know, you, you can you can slip in a little bit of falsehood there, but it has to be bundled up in a whole lot of truth before someone is going to swallow it. And you have to be able to swallow magical realism. You have to walk away from it a little bit uncertain as to whether or not there are actually green people living in your trees. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think uncertainty is one thing that I really take for magical realism that can be difficult to execute but when done mm -hmm. well it really brings a lot to a work and it really helps a story stick with you because if you if you hear something and if you get basically all the facts out of the story that leaves you nothing left to wonder about right and so you'll forget you'll forget about it pretty quickly but sort of trusting the reader to be able to fill in some of their own gaps and often I think that we notice when we're reading magical realism is that that one thing that's changed says something larger about something else. It's symbolic of something. So for instance, if the whole world loses their eyesight, it says something symbolic, some larger meaning that the story is trying to get at. It's never just because. Yeah, absolutely. It's not necessarily as strong on themes as what one would consider literary fiction but mm -hmm. there's still a lot of thematic elements and very many um i mean alice in wonderland which is i think maybe one of the best examples we've stumbled into today is a uh, is a very good example of how there's a lot of thematic elements and a lot of symbolic elements mm -hmm. that's such a weird word to me literary fiction i always just assume that it's fiction that the critics have agreed upon is savory that's <laughs> you're not entirely wrong 
I'll let you listen to that episode maybe before I publish it even if you want but I look forward to it because like we consider Shakespeare today to be great literary writing but let's be honest 90% of it's dick jokes 90% of writing is dick jokes it's just how well is it hidden the other 10% is boobs (laughs) yes exactly it's true oh well I think that's as good of a note as any to uh start wrapping up is there anything else you really want to say about this Uh, no just thank you for having me i enjoyed it all right well thank you for uh being on this episode is going to be hell to edit because of that cutout earlier but we'll see what we can do just intersplice it with monty python it'll be great (laughs) (laughs) well this has been genre breaker Uh, this discussion is on magical realism and i have my guest ashley here ashley if people wanted to reach you or find out about your projects or any such thing is there a place they could go um well my personal website is a good place uh ashleynicolehunter.com um they could also find me on facebook or working away on the vortex and sigil house publishing right that's at ucavortex.com yeah um and sigil house publishing and I am Hayden. You can find me at the Genre Breaker because at Genre Breaker was taken. <laughs> and you can also find me at genrebreaker.com or um, on Tumblr um, at genrebreaker.tumblr.com, I think. That one's mostly just reposting writing advice. So if you care about that, that's a place to find it. Um, Thank you for being on, Ashley, and thank you for listening. This is Genre Breaker signing off. I'm going to figure out a better way to do that. Genre Breaker signing off. Just tell a raunchy joke at the end. So I pressed the red button, and I'm hoping that's what you wanted me to do. Well, are the... uh blue bars starting to spike whenever you make noise. They are indeed making admirable little squiggles. Well, that's exactly what we were hoping for then. (laughs) Huzzah!